Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Word of God which engages us is the gospel lesson, read previously, thus far the text. Dear friends in Christ, it comes to each of us multiple times each day. It comes to each of us in different forms each day. And it comes to each of us from the very same source. The it to which I am referring is temptation, the opportunity to sin. And I want to make clear from the outset that temptation, the opportunity to sin, is not sin. It's when we give in to that temptation, yield to that temptation, act upon that temptation in our thoughts, our words, or our deeds, that we sin and displease God. Now, unfortunately, God's people have not had a very good track record when it comes to resisting the temptation of Satan. The account of our first parents, Adam and Eve, succumbing to the temptation of Satan is only too well documented in Genesis chapter 3. Despite explicit instructions from God that Adam and Eve could eat of any tree of the garden except just one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Satan was able to create doubt or confusion in the mind of Eve as to exactly what God had said and eventually convince her that eating from that tree really wouldn't be all that bad. In fact, it would really be good for her. And so she ate, and so did Adam. Unfortunately, the track record from there on throughout the Old Testament is not a very good one for God's people either. God's people grumbled and complained against God after he freed them from their slavery in Egypt and was taking them on to the land that he had promised to give to them. And of course, at Mount Sinai, they committed a blatant act of idolatry where they created a golden calf and fell down and worshipped it and said, this is your God, O people, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And then when they got right to the border of the land that God had promised to give to them, they shrank back in fear. After the spies came back, and reported that the people of that land were mighty big and mighty intimidating. And then approximately 40 years later, when God's people actually entered the land that he had given to them, it wasn't long before they were falling down and worshiping the false gods of the neighboring peoples. No, throughout the Old Testament, the track record of God's people is not a very good one when it comes to resisting the temptation of Satan. And if we are honest with ourselves, we have to shake our head and say that many times our track record hasn't been that great as well. Satan will find an area or areas in our lives where we are particularly vulnerable to temptation and sin. If you've lived enough years on this earth, you probably know what area or areas those are in your life. And those areas can change 
as we go through different stages in life. And just as Satan confused Eve, so he can confuse us as to what God has actually said about those areas in which we are being tempted and convince us that it's not only not all that bad, but actually good to go ahead and sin in those areas, telling ourselves things such as, I deserve it, or it's really not all that bad, or many other people are doing it, or it's not really hurting anyone else, or I'm still a better person than many people I know. And then we go ahead and sin, and then comes the guilt, the remorse, and the contrition. How candidly Paul talked about this same process and the end result in Romans chapter 7 when he writes, the good that I want to do, that is not what I end up doing. Instead, it's the evil that I do not want to do. That is what I end up doing. We'll enter our gospel lesson for today. Jesus being tempted three times at the hands of Satan. And it would be to sell this text far too short to say that it is just an example of how Satan works or just an example of how we can resist temptation at the hands of Satan. It is certainly that, but it is so much more than that. It is Jesus being faithful to the Father where Adam and Eve were not. It is Jesus being faithful to the Father where God's Old Testament people were not. It is Jesus being faithful to the Father where we are not. It is Jesus being faithful in our place. Let's take a look at this text a little more closely and see how Jesus is faithful in our place. This text takes place not long after Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And notice that it's not the devil, but it is the Holy Spirit who leads Jesus into the wilderness in order to be tempted by Satan. The first temptation, Satan says to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. If you are the Son of God, the Father has already made that abundantly clear at the baptism of Jesus not long ago when his voice boomed out and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In this temptation, Jesus is being tempted to, in effect, repeat the miracle of the manna in the wilderness in the Old Testament, but this time to satisfy his own needs his own desires, his own wants. Jesus replies with Scripture, It is written, Man does not live by bread alone. Indeed, abundant and eternal life is not to be found in physical bread, but in the one who is the bread of life, the one of whom we partake and hunger no more. In the second temptation, 
Satan flat out lies to Jesus. He takes Jesus to a high place, lets him look out over the kingdoms of the earth, and says, to you I will give all the authority and all the glory of these places if you do just one thing, bow down and worship me. It was a bald-faced lie. The authority and the glory of those places were not Satan's to give. They belonged to God. And secondly, obviously, a creature like Satan, tempting Jesus, who is at the same time 100% God and 100% man, to bow down and worship him would be a blatant act of idolatry, a blatant missing of the first commandment, and of course would disqualify Jesus as offering a sacrifice for anyone's sin but his own. Indeed, one has to wonder how many millions of people over the course of time have fallen victim to that same temptation, thinking that they can gain all the authority and all the glory of the things of this world, and in so doing, bow down to worship Satan in some subtle and some not so subtle ways. Remember what Jesus said? What shall it profit a man if he gains the entire world but forfeits his soul in the process? Again, Jesus answers with Scripture. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. In the third temptation, Satan takes Jesus from the wilderness and brings him to Jerusalem and takes him up to a high pinnacle of the temple and tempts him, saying, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written... He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Did you notice that Satan was trying his hand at Scripture here? But of course, corrupting it. Psalm 91, which Satan corrupts, is actually referred to in the Old Testament as the soldier's psalm. It was a favorite psalm of military soldiers. And just a couple of verses beyond that, which Satan quotes, God does not promise to keep soldiers or anyone else, for that matter, outside of harm's way. But he does promise to bring them safely through to salvation. A third time, Jesus responds with Scripture, It is written... You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Did you notice that in all three of these temptations, Jesus responds with Scripture. It is written. It is written. It is written. How important for us also to be in Scripture, reading it and studying it daily. For it is through these very words of God that God works to fortify, to strengthen us in our faith, and to be able to resist the daily attacks of Satan. And because Jesus was faithful in our place, 
living the sinless, perfect, righteous, innocent, and blameless life, he was not deserving of God's punishment, God's wrath, or God's condemnation. And so he was able to turn around and offer that sinless, perfect life in our place. And that's exactly what he did on the cross, willingly, voluntarily, offering that perfect life in our place. And now, as a result, we appear before God not clothed in our own sinful unrighteousness, but in his sinless righteousness. We can hold up his sinless life now before God as our life because that's the life he lived in our place. And that also means for those times that we fail, those times that we give in to Satan's temptation and sin, there is grace, there is forgiveness, and there is mercy. Not just sometimes, but every time. As a result of the forgiveness that is ours, as a free gift from God, by his grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, and on account of Jesus Christ. And Jesus also rose from the dead in our place. And he has gone to prepare a place for you and for me. And that which he told his disciples in John chapter 14 is just as true and valid for us today. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will return and will take you to be with me, that where I am, there you may be also, in our eternal place with him. Amen. And now may the peace of God that passes all understanding guard our hearts and our minds in this one true faith unto life everlasting. Amen.